You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know, sustaining success, I think, requires having some sort of stability and, and culture in place. And that's where, you know, there's there's a reason for some optimism in terms of what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done. Obviously, the results haven't quite been there yet, and they're a long way from from getting where they want to be. But I think, you know, the the foundation that they've established is a healthy one, and it's one that I think they can build on in the years to come. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey Bills fans, welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast and the only podcast that predicted Mike Rodak leaving Buffalo Sports Media. I'm your host, Nate, and we've got an amazing show for you this week. We are joined by Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and the Bills Beat Podcast. We discuss anything and everything Bills, including Josh Allen's hype during OTAs, Sean McDermott and the culture he continues to build here in Buffalo, training camp battles to watch for this summer, LaShawn McCoy and this possibly being a make-or-break camp for him, and the feelings of Bills fans towards Mike Rodak. So without further ado, the interview with Matthew Fairburn. So he is a staff writer for The Athletic Buffalo, covering the Bills all year round. But he's also written for NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, and is the co-host for the Bills Beat podcast with Joe Biscalia. I'd like to welcome Matthew Fairburn to the podcast. Matthew, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, so OTAs are still going on right now. And even though there's limitations with what the coaching staff and players can do, do they matter in the long run to you or are they just scaled back practices? You know, I think everything matters uh, in the right context. You know, I I think they wouldn't be out there going through these practices and and going through all these drills and that the entire team wouldn't be there if it weren't somewhat important. But I think oftentimes, you know, the, the importance can be overstated or, you know, people can read into it what they want to read into. They see what they want to see or, or hear what they want to hear. Um, you know, it's important for implementing schemes, getting guys on the same page, teaching techniques that they they want used throughout training camp. It really does set the table for training camp in a lot of ways so that you're not going over a ton of that stuff in the first few weeks of training camp. You can kind of hit the ground running. Obviously, you know, they can't hit during the spring and uh, you know, there's 
certain limitations to it, as you pointed out. So the results of what's happening on the field probably aren't crucial uh, to what, you know, is going to happen on the field in the fall. It's certainly not as telling as what happens on the field in training camp, but it does set the stage for the summer. You know, if a guy stands out in the spring, that could set him up to have more opportunity in training camp and in preseason games. It's all a piece of the puzzle. And even if OTAs are a smaller piece of the puzzle than training camp in the preseason, uh, it doesn't mean that it's completely worthless. I think it's it's all part of, um, you know, getting guys, especially for a team like the Bills, who has so many new players, uh, you know, guys that don't know a lot about the organization. They don't necessarily know the scheme, getting them in, in the building, used to how they do things and uh, in the playbook. It's valuable time when when you have a lot of new faces and a quarterback entering, you know, the second year of his career. Okay, great. Well, speaking of Josh Allen, should Bills fans buy into anything positive that Josh Allen does in OTAs? And is the Josh Allen OTA hype legit? You know, I think it's gotten a, a bit of bit out of control early on i mean the media has only seen two practices and he's been pretty good in those practices i wouldn't you know say he's been um you know a world beater by any means he's still made some mistakes he's still figuring things out but again in the context of what they're doing like i said they're installing systems they're teaching techniques they're trying things out they're getting guys on the same page i think that's where reading too much into it can be a little bit dangerous uh, in the case of a young quarterback. I mean, there's no contact from the defense. There's really not much pass rush at all. And so it's not really simulating what he's going to see on Sundays or even what he'll see, uh, you know, during preseason games. And so I think it's a little bit much at the moment. Now that's not to say that people shouldn't be excited about him showing positive signs. He looks a lot better right now than he did this time a year ago. Remember this time last year, he was still with the third team offense. Uh, you know, the fact he's so far ahead, uh, you know, just having a full off season, uh, being with the same coordinator for the second year in a row, having what I think is a better quarterbacks coach, having new weapons around him and being able to get every single rep with the first team offense, as opposed to having to work his way up the ladder. I think all of those are very positive signs, but the results on a throw by throw basis, and the um, kind of, you know, overhyping of, of every good thing he does can be a little bit dangerous because in any, the development of any quarterback, any player for that matter, there's going to be ups and downs, especially during practice. And when we only get snapshots of it in the spring, you can't really piece together the full picture like you can in training camp and in the preseason. So I think that's where it gets a little bit out of hand just because we've seen two out of, you know, six now today was the seventh practice. So we've only seen two of them. We'll get a third one tomorrow. And, and each, you know, practice provides a little bit of evidence, a little bit of clues, but doesn't really give you the full picture. So you mentioned OTAs are, are obviously a really scaled back version of what's going to happen in training camp. I mean, when should Bills fans be excited for positive reports? Should they wait for training camp, preseason games, or is the regular season the only true test in your opinion? I mean, I think you can be excited. Uh, you know, that's a whenever whenever you want, really. I mean, it's kind of a, a per, personal thing. If you want to be excited about what he's doing in the spring, I think there's reason to be excited about the progress that he's shown, about the position that he's in, uh, the reps he's getting, and 
and the players he has around him. Uh, same goes for training camp. I think you take it all with a grain of salt in terms of knowing that practicing well doesn't mean he'll play well. Uh, if you want to get excited and be sure that the Bills have a franchise quarterback and a guy that you know you can trust is the long-term answer, I don't think you can really make that determination until you see him play in games. I don't think anything he does in May, June, July, or August is going to convince you that he's a franchise quarterback. It's going to have to happen, you know, during the regular season. And ultimately, you know, ideally, you know, the, the arguments and conversations around Josh Allen will, you know, end up with, he'll have to perform in the playoffs. Right. I mean, you know, it's been a while since Bill's fans have even had to hold a quarterback to that standard, um, you know, of performing in the playoffs because they've struggled to get there so often, but that, you know, becomes the true, uh, Mark, I mean, I think about all the arguments that happened in Detroit over Matthew Stafford. I think, you know, if the Bills had had Matthew Stafford for the last 10 years, they'd be pretty happy. But there's a lot of Lions fans who don't think he's the guy because he hasn't really gotten it done in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, there are people who would say even, you know, just getting it done in the regular season might not be satisfactory to prove that that he's the long-term answer. So I think that's where you know, I'm coming from in terms of saying that the, the hype is a little bit, um, you know, out of control because he's had two practices in May of his second season. He hasn't performed um, at a franchise caliber level uh, in the regular season. He hasn't, you know, gotten the team to the playoffs. I mean, there's so many steps and I know a lot of people are eager um, and, and anxious to see what this kid can become because he is so talented and he probably has more promise than any quarterback this team has had in 15 or 20 years, but there's a lot of steps he has to take to get there. And, you know, the, the evolution and and the process that goes along with that uh, is all part of it. So it's going to be a a long journey where you don't really have answers right away. And that can be uh, tough as a a football fan, as you're trying to figure out, you know, what this kid is and, and you're trying to determine the answers. But, you know, like I said, the best case scenario is that, that you're argue, you're having different conversations a couple of years from now because you look at some of the quarterbacks that have come before Josh Allen and it's taken only a couple of years for the team to realize that that person isn't the franchise quarterback. So as long as he's continuing on the upward trajectory, there's plenty of reason to be excited. And, and that includes in training camp preseason. And then obviously the ultimate test comes when they start playing real games. Of course, of course. So I, I kind of understand fan hype at this point. I think p- part of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we haven't had football in so many months and we're really excited about Josh Allen. But I guess the way I look at it is when things are going positive, that just means that's not a bad sign. I mean, some players are great in practice, but never live up to the hype when like bullets fly, like, for example, Nathan Peterman. But I mean, from your stand, from your um, point of view, on the flip side, have you ever seen a player struggle in camp or preseason or OTAs and somehow thrive during the regular season. Does that ever happen? Well, I seem to remember last year, there were some somewhat concerning reports out of chiefs OTAs about Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know how that turned out. Um, You know, obviously, you know, he went on to have one of the greatest quarterbacking seasons uh, we've seen in a long time. So that's where the, you know, what happens in May doesn't correlate to what happens in the fall. I mean, some guys 
aren't the best practice players and, and they show up when it counts in games. Or in the case of Patrick Mahomes, I would probably say that was more a young quarterback going through some growing pains. Uh, Andy Reid putting him in situations that were going to challenge him during practice so that he'd be ready uh, in those game situations. So that's where, you know, practice performance can be overanalyzed. But like you said, it's, you know, been a while since anybody's seen a real football game and, you know, been a while since anybody's seen a Bills game. So that's why I say, if you want to get excited about it, by all means, I mean, it's a young quarterback entering the second season of his career. He's got a ton of new weapons around him. He's got, you know, a, a year under his belt, a year that, you know, in which he showed some very promising signs. So there's plenty of reason to get excited. And I, I certainly, you know, enjoy interacting with, with fans who like to ride that train in the off season of the highs and lows of some guys and, um, you know, the whole process of their development. So, um, you know, there's certainly, you know, cases both ways where a guy isn't great uh, in practice, but shows up in games and, and the other way around. So um, that's where you have to just take everything in context of what's going on yeah. and, and try not to get too high or too low, even though mm-hmm. in today's uh, Twitter world and everything else, it can be can be hard not to jump onto every bit of information. <laughs> yep, definitely. So development-wise, do you think that Josh Allen gets more freedom from Brian Dable in the offense in his second year? Meaning, could you see Josh Allen potentially switching plays at the line and changing hot routes on wide receivers based on the coverage he's seeing? I think so. I, I think that should be the goal. You know, a guy in the second year of a system with a full off season uh, of trying to understand what he's doing and, and working with a lot of the same players. I think he should be able to make those adjustments. And it sounds like Brian Dable's putting some of that on his plate here in OTAs. He mentioned that, you know, he let him call, call a series basically in the no huddle. And those are the types of things, like I said, you know, maybe we see that and don't get the context and, you know, maybe he, the first couple of times he does it, he doesn't do great with it, but in the long term, it benefits him, you know? So I think they're going to try some of those things out. They're going to put more on his plate. This is, you know, the first time I can think of in a while where they've had a quarterback who they want to invest, you know, that time and that development in, and he's going to get all the reps. It's a, a very beneficial situation for Josh Allen and, and his development and the more they put on his plate during the off season, the better, because I think you're going to want your quarterback to have that command of the offense and that freedom and flexibility, especially given the way that Josh Allen handles himself. I think the way that he plays, he, he is a bit of a freestyle quarterback. He, he's willing to break contain and, and get outside the pocket and make plays happen. And so you want that aggressive, you know, nature, that competitive nature. And if he sees something at the line and feels confident in what he's seeing, I think by all means they should give him the freedom to go out there and and he will make mistakes. You know, it's going to be his first full season as a starting quarterback. So there are going to be moments where, you know, he's, he's a, a little bit in over his head, but I think the more you give him the, the more comfortable he'll be. Um, and over time, he should have a better command of how to handle all that. Okay, great. So sticking with quarterback, I know a lot of fans were happy when the Bills signed undrafted free agent rookie quarterback Tyree Jackson to the 91-man roster. How has he looked in the limited time you've been able to see him? 
you know, he looks like he has a long way to go. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he progresses over training camp and, you know, how he looks in preseason games. I think he certainly makes the preseason games a little bit more interesting. You know, watching a guy like Tyree Jackson in the second half when the third stringers are out there is a little bit more interesting than watching, you know, Derek Anderson because, you know, there's the unknown with Tyree Jackson. You're not sure if he can develop into something, uh, you know, of, of a quality backup or even a starter down the road, uh, you know. So there's the intrigue there because he's really tall. He has the strong arm and that, that shows up in practice. But you can also tell he has a long way to go in terms of learning, um, you know, how an NFL offense operates and the timing of it all. Um, you know, his accuracy is going to be a work in progress. That's just the nature of, of who he is as a quarterback at this stage in his career. But you can see the raw physical ability. He strikes me as a guy who, you know, practice, it might not look pretty, but I think it'll be fun to watch during preseason games. I think he won't be thinking as much and, and things will come a little bit more naturally. So I'll be interested to see, um, you know, at that point in the summer, how he looks when he can get on the field, because, um, you know, he's definitely a project. He's a developmental guy and the bills have to determine, you know, is he worth a spot on the 53 man roster or do they try to stash him on the practice squad or, you know, or do they move on from him completely and get a more veteran guy in as the number three guy? So it, his development is important to the whole picture at quarterback because they need to figure out, you know, what they have in him and, and what they see in him long-term. Okay, great. So I know that you're a big fan of Blaine Gabbert from your podcast. So does Tyree Jackson have what it takes to separate himself from the competition and be the Blaine Gabbert for the Buffalo Bills in 2019? (laughs) You know, that would be, you know, the funny thing about Blaine Gabbert is as big of a bust as he was, he is quite the survivor. I mean, the (laughs) guy just keeps finding jobs. And uh, I think, honestly, if Tyree Jackson's career panned out that way, he'd probably be pretty happy to be gainfully employed that many years into your career. I mean, to be, I I think that should be really, it's, you know, the American dream. Blaine Gabbert (laughs) is a massive underachiever, but he still stays employed and, and is able to, you know, sustain you know, make a living doing something he's not very good at. You know, we should all be so lucky. Yeah, holding a notebook, that's not a bad gig. (laughs) Um, So you wrote a great piece for The Athletic recently about Sean McDermott and the culture he's trying to create. Now, you've covered many different coaching staffs while reporting on the Bills. Is his approach truly unique to past coaches, or are they all pretty similar? I definitely think Sean McDermott is a little bit different. I, I don't think he's you know, revolutionary or, you know, completely innovative in his approach. But in terms of what we've seen from past coaches, um, I've covered Doug Marone and Rex Ryan here. Um, and in college, I covered Gary Pinkle at Mizzou, which college is a different animal, but still kind of the same approach uh, in terms of building a culture and, you know, building a team. And, McDermott's different than all of them. He's obviously, you know, basically the opposite of Rex Ryan. I mean, you know, the, in terms of the strict, you know, just the way that he, you know, is disciplined in his own life. uh, Sean McDermott, that is, is a lot different than Rex Ryan. But I think you also see players respect him 
seemingly a lot more than they did Rex Ryan and Doug Marone. And it's for different reasons. Obviously, Rex Ryan was well-liked in a lot of ways, but his approach didn't work with everybody, you know? And he he was a player's coach, but he was also a little bit bullheaded in the way that he went about things. And, uh, you know, it was just, it didn't work for a lot of players. Obviously, you saw Mario Williams lash out a little bit, and he wasn't alone in that locker room. You saw a lot of guys, you know, speaking anonymously or, or behind Rex's back about things. Doug Marone, I think, was a little bit different because he was obviously not a player's coach in most ways. I think he's changed a little bit uh, down in Jacksonville, but not necessarily a player's coach and a little bit overbearing at times. And I don't think that worked well with certain players in the room either. But Sean McDermott seems to have found a balance. He's not Obviously, Rex Ryan, where he lets guys do whatever they want and brings in, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, troublemakers and, and tries to just, you know, make it all work. But he's also not overbearing the way Doug Marone was. He tries to understand guys on a individual basis, and he's constantly trying to figure out different ways to get through to guys. And the main thing is just trying to build a, a culture where, everybody's motivated to be improving every day and everybody's motivated to, you know, kind of be all in on the common goal and, you know, getting guys to buy in and making sure your message doesn't become stale is not easy to do. And I haven't seen a coach and granted, I haven't been around. It's not like I've, you know, been around, um, you know, guys who have won Super Bowls or anything. Marone and, and Rex Ryan weren't. Uh, the gold standard, but mm -hmm. I haven't seen a coach command the respect uh, of the guys in the room more than McDermott has. And the, you can see it in the way that when things are going wrong, when they go on losing streaks, which they have uh, in each of his first two seasons, he's found a way to turn things around mid season, which is uh, a lot easier said than done. And, and it takes a coach who can, you know, get through to players and, you know, his message can, continue to get through to them even when things aren't going well so uh, I think it's it's promising obviously there's more to being an NFL head coach than just you know motivating guys and creating a culture you need to you know deal with uh, lineup decisions in-game strategy roster building and everything else but I do think the way that he goes about motivating guys and, and creating a culture has been a huge positive impact on this team. So from what you're saying, when you've seen the way that McDermott has implemented uh, a new culture, trust the process, other types of slogans like that, and other types of pieces to this whole team, I mean, do you, there's some people that say culture doesn't matter at all, and it doesn't sound like you agree with that whatsoever. But, um, but I mean, after your talks with, like, players, I mean, on the record and off, does that really resonate now i know you've said you've seen it but does it actually resonate with them in your talks with players on and off the record i think it does and i th i think part of that is you know bringing in the types of players who it will get through to you know i mean they've built a locker room of guys who are uh somewhat like-minded in that way they already have that you know they they like to use the phrase the dna um, which is kind of a a weird way to put it, but that, you know, the, they're going after guys in the draft and in free agency that 
already are of that growth mindset mm-hmm. and, you know, of that, you know, that mental makeup to handle that type of coaching and that type of, of culture. They're not going to be perfect in bringing in those types of guys. Obviously you're going to have uh, some, some different guys, but I think a lot of people mistake culture for, you know, bringing in all nice guys. That's not really what it's about. I mean, it's about, um, you know, having everybody pushing in the same direction, having everybody, you know, excited to work for the guy next to them and work for the guy in charge, as opposed to, you know, having infighting and everything else. I think, you know, is the importance of it overstated by some maybe, but I think the idea that it doesn't matter at all, I think is a little bit, um, you know, misguided, especially in football, when you have so many guys who could at any moment be pulling in any number of directions for any number of reasons, getting guys on the same page and pushing towards a common goal is, is not easy. And, um, you know, sustaining success, I think, requires having some sort of stability and, and culture in place. And that's where, you know, there's there's reason for some optimism in terms of what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done. Obviously, the results haven't quite been there yet, and they're a long way from from getting where they want to be. But I think, you know, the the foundation that they've established is a healthy one, and it's one that I think they can build on in the years to come. Okay, great. This is purely just for my information since I'm a non-media member. Um, how often do you talk to players off the record percentage-wise? Is it like 50-50 or is it mostly off the record and they only let you use a few quotes? I would say it's probably probably more often on the record just because of the nature of okay. of the job is mm-hmm. we're in there every day and um, you know when you need to get work done, you need sometimes you need on the record quotes and there's all sorts of press conferences and everything else. But during the season, there's, there's definitely plenty of time for that off the record, you know, type of conversations as well, where, you know, you, you want, you don't want every conversation to be an interview. You know, you don't want every conversation to, to have a microphone and a notepad because, um, you know, then guys don't really, you don't establish that human connection as easily. So, that's what that's more there's more time for that during the season because uh you know we have open locker room for 45 minutes you know wednesday through friday and that allows for you know more relaxed setting than um you know when we don't have open locker room it's like well this guy has five minutes before he goes in the room you don't have time for small talk if you need quotes or whatever so it's a it's a little bit of both it's um you know it all depends on you know, the, the player, um, obviously not every player is going to, going to be interested in talking to you, um, you know, off the record, they're not interested in small talk or whatever else, but that's an important part to, to everything. Because then when it comes time to, you know, post game, you need on the record, you know, comments or, or you're just working on a certain story, having that relationship and that understanding makes those on the record conversations all the more productive. Okay, great. I appreciate your insight on that, by the way. Um, so do you think, so going back to Sean McDermott, um, do you think his quest to always learn more can lead to him being a better in-game coach and making better in-game coaching decisions as opposed to just creating locker room culture? You know, that was probably my lingering question after I wrote that story, because I was curious, uh, you know, going into it because he had mentioned, 
you know, he reads a lot and he's always listening to books on tape or podcasts or, or whatever else. And a lot of the, the books that he reads are leadership books uh, and things of that nature, which almost leads me to believe that, you know, the answer to your question is no, because mm -hmm. I don't know what you're going to find in those books that are going to necessarily change your thinking on strategy or anything else. Now, if you were, you know, reading books like uh, Astro Ball about the Houston Astros and their analytics approach or different things like that, then that would spark my curiosity even more because I might think, okay, what is, what's going through his brain? And I can't say for sure that, you know, he's absolutely not going to uh, develop as an in-game coach, but I think that's probably the biggest question uh, facing him and his coaching career right now is can he, you know, when the, pressure's on and bullets are flying can he change what seems to be ingrained in him as certain philosophies uh, in terms of being conservative or whatever else i'm interested to see if he can adapt and maybe some of these books he's reading or people he's talking to some of those ideas will cause him to look he's always evaluating himself and his team and how they operate and what mm -hmm. they're doing and so if he's looking honestly at that i think he would would you know consider making some changes but it's easy to do that in the off season and to do it on paper and understand the the math of it all or whatever else but then when it comes to in game uh you know and the pressure's on and it's a snap second decision you know i think that's where mistakes can be made and that's why a lot of teams have somebody in the booth you know who's feeding them that information in real time so to try to take the the bias out of it and take the emotion out of the decision. But uh, it's not easy when, you know, you're on the sideline in a football game and it looks, it looks easier from your couch than when you're on the sideline and, mm -hmm. you know, there's, you know, 60 guys around you and yep. uh, a whole bunch of coaches and staff members and the crowd's going wild and, and you're trying to focus uh, on making the best call. It's, it's a tough gig and, and he's shown that he's a good play caller on defense when he's taken over those responsibilities. He's shown he can make some adjustments at times in game. Um, but you know, the evolution in terms of game management is certainly ongoing and, um, we'll probably get a better taste of it when they're in, you know, higher pressure and bigger profile games than they have been the last few years. Okay. So, so moving on to training camp, um, are there any training camp positional battles that, that really have your interest when it comes time this summer that you're really going to keep an eye on? I think the offensive line is probably the most important one, just because you could almost argue there's a competition at every position outside of center. And, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of combinations that they could go with on the offensive line uh, is, you know, pretty substantial. I mean, you could probably go with four or five different combinations um, you know, whether it's shuffling guys to different guard spots, moving Deion Dawkins inside, you know, deciding which tackle position Ty and Seke will play. There's a lot of decisions to be made there and not really a lot of time to let each individual situation play out because you're trying to find the best five and get those guys practicing together as soon as possible. So I think that'll be uh, really interesting to follow during the preseason just because you know they're going to have to try out a lot of different combinations quickly and make a determination on which one is the best and i i don't know you know i haven't seen a team you know 
deal with an offensive line makeover like this one. And so I'm fascinated to see how they handle it in terms of dividing reps and, and everything uh, along those lines. And I think beyond the offensive line, probably cornerback uh, sort of in the same vein, because some of those guys can move around to different positions and uh, do different things. So, um, you know, Levi Wallace is getting a, a lot of the first team reps right now, but Kevin Johnson has looked really good. EJ Gaines has obviously proven himself in the NFL. So they've got more depth there and, and that creates more competition and, and makes things interesting, you know, when training camp and preseason roll around. Plus, you know, it doesn't hurt to have some depth, uh, you know, at spots where they've, they've dealt with plenty of injuries over the years. So uh, I think, you know, it's a good situation to have the competition at this training camp will be different than in years past, just because, um, you know, there's a lot more depth at key positions and, you know, that makes, um, you know, the, the best players, um, you know, all, all the better to, to have to be pushed by guys, um, you know, that are legitimate competition as opposed to just camp bodies. Do you see in camp, um, could there be potentially any mid to late round draft picks or maybe even some undrafted guys that you think could make an impact in this roster in 2019? Yeah, I think it'll be harder than in, in years past. You know, last year, by the end of the year, it seemed like uh, every other guy was was a rookie, you know, starting yeah. in, in the lineup. But that was more so, um, you know, just the nature of, of the roster overhaul. I think it'll be a little bit trickier this year. But I mean, I, it depends on your definition of, of mid rounder. I think both third rounders have a, a shot to make an impact early. Dawson Knox and, and Devin Singletary have both gotten you know, gotten some early run. Um, I think, you know, a guy like Vashon Joseph is probably going to make an impact on, on special teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's where a lot of these guys are going to have a chance to crack the roster and get some meaningful snaps is by proving their worth on special teams, but it's not going to be nearly as easy as it was a year ago for some of those guys to work their way into the starting lineup, just because, uh, you know, there's, a lot of veteran talent on this team and depth at spots that will create a roadblock to those guys, you know, making it into, uh, into the lineup. But, you know, the, the first four picks I think should all be expected to, to get on the field and perform. And I, I think you look at some of the, the later round guys and they look mostly like developmental, um, you know, players, but a few of them could contribute on special teams and we'll see what happens with the undrafted guys. I mean, you know, you've got David Sills, who I know is a, a guy that a lot of people are paying attention to, uh, but the wide receiver position is not going to be an easy one uh, to to make the team at. I think there's a chance they keep only five, uh, and if they do, those five are pretty set in stone. If they keep six, there's a whole bunch of guys competing for that, that spot, so that'll make life pretty tough on David Sills, but, you know, I, I think... Tommy Sweeney, um, you know, probably has a, a good shot as a seventh rounder just because they have some injuries at tight end. So there could be an opening for him as well. But, you know, quite a bit of, um, you know, quality talent at the bottom of the draft, but they're going to have more time to develop before they're thrown right into the lineup just because the Bills roster is a bit further along in its construction than it was last year. So let's switch gears to um, LaShawn McGoy specifically. Um, you discussed him at length on your podcast after the Bills drafted Devin Singletary in the third round. What are your thoughts on him as a teammate and team leader 
from the end of last season and into this current season? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I, I thought, you know, he left a lot to be desired uh, as as a leader and even as a teammate at times toward the end of last season. And again, we we don't get the full picture uh, as media in terms of, you know, we're in the locker room a lot and we're around the team a lot. But, you know, there's always stuff that goes unseen. And there are a lot of guys in that room that follow him and that like him. But, you know, the the fact that he he was benched at the end of last season, even if it was just for a play, um, you know, the symbolic, you know, benching of giving another guy a start, um, you know, because, you know, LaShawn McCoy wasn't on time, I think is a bit of an issue. Uh, I thought the way that he handled younger guys getting reps um, wasn't necessarily becoming of a leader. And look, there's been a lot of ups and downs with him uh, in terms of the way that he behaves off the field. And so I think, you know, in terms of when you give a guy a, a C and you make him a captain, there's an expectation there. And I think there's a reason that LaShawn McCoy wasn't named a captain before last year. You know, I think there's a reason it took so long for him to get there. And there weren't exactly a lot of other options on that team uh, to be named captains, especially on offense. I mean, there really weren't a lot of, of veteran, you know, leaders on that group. And there weren't a lot of leaders, um, you know, period. I think, you know, when you lose guys like Eric Wood and Richie Incognito, um, you know, that makes things, you know, that leaves a void in terms of the leadership in the locker room. And, you know, they, they were hoping LaShawn McCoy would fill some of that, but I'm not really, you know, I'm not sold that he did. And look, this team is in a spot where you want, Josh Allen becoming that guy. Uh, you want him being, you know, the face of the offense, the face of the franchise, and the leader and voice in that room. And, you know, I don't know how LaShawn McCoy will handle that. Hopefully he handles it with some, you know, some grace. And I don't know if he'll be named the captain again. I'm not really sure. But, you know, there's a reason Sean McDermott said at the owners' meetings they wanted to bring leadership into the running back room. And that's why they signed Frank Gore, hmm. you know, your captain was in the running back room. So, if, you know, I think that sent a bit of a message as well. So, you know, obviously McDermott didn't pick McCoy as the captain, you know, the teammates did. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. We haven't had a chance to talk to McCoy um, this off season when they sent guys out to talk to the media at the beginning of the off season workouts. It was, you know, uh, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. It's clear which, direction they want you know the the leadership going and um you know obviously mccoy's situation will be one to watch as he enters the final year of his deal have you been able to see him on the field in otas from your media point of view in practice yeah he's gotten limited reps i mean uh, he, that's kind of how it is for him in the spring all the mm -hmm. time especially at this age they're mm -hmm. not giving him a lot mm -hmm. and running backs too i always hesitate to come to too much of a judgment before training camp before they can be hit you know I, I think it's always hard to you know see what exactly uh they look like but he's looked fine he's looked like himself um i'm sure you know he's always kept himself in decent shape and and you know he's always prided himself on how you know how he performs so he's looked he's looked decent but obviously it's just been so limited because we haven't seen a lot of practices and he only gets limited reps when he's out there anyways. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, if, if training camp rolls around and he's looking more like 
last year's LaShawn McCoy than 2017 McCoy. Is there any way that Brandon Bean cuts him considering the money they'll, they will have saved in salary cap? It's possible. I wouldn't take anything off the table. I mean, I don't know if I would bet on it, but I think, you know, between the way that he looked last year, the cap savings that you mentioned, and how much they added to the running back room, it certainly raises your eyebrow as to, you know, I think it's a, a bit of a prove it uh, training camp for LaShawn McCoy in some ways because Frank Gore is going to be right there pushing him for, for carries and, and for the starting job. And they didn't draft Devin Singletary in the third round to let him sit on the bench. I mean, when you have a running back on a rookie deal, you want to get your mileage out of them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they signed TJ Yeldon. Sonoris Perry is really good on special teams. So, you know, it's, they'll probably want to make room on the roster for him. So, you know, you can't keep everybody. And um, how LaShawn McCoy handles, um, you know, not only the competition, but also just, you know, the idea of sharing the load in the backfield, I think will, you know, tell us a lot about, you know, where he stands and, um, you know, how much, how, you know, involved he'll be with this team uh, in 2019. But uh, I'm not ruling anything out with him because, you know, obviously he's a bit unpredictable. Brandon Bean's been somewhat unpredictable as a GM. So, you know, it's hard to take anything off the table. Mm -hmm. Well, you just mentioned Sonoris Perry. I mean, do you see that's a lot that that's a crowded running back backfield or I mean, crowded running back um, on the running backs on the depth chart. Do you see the bills keeping four running backs in 2019? And, and does that, and, and I'm sorry, does that even include like Patrick DeMarco? Yeah, I think they would keep five if you count Patrick DeMarco. And I mean, you know, the tricky part is, like I said, Sonoris Perry is the only one that really plays special teams yeah. in a significant capacity out of those, um, you know, Yeldon, Gore and Coy don't really do that. And so do you value that enough to keep him over one of the other guys or to keep him in addition to one of the other guys and, maybe sacrifice a roster spot somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, okay. it's, it's crowded. And I think, you know, what Perry brings on special teams is unique and it's different than what, um, a lot of players on the roster bring on special teams. Obviously you're not counting on Sonoris Perry as a, a guy that's going to carry the load free in the backfield. He's barely done, you know, any, yeah, he barely had it has any carries in his NFL career, but you know, the value on special teams is what's helped him, stick around in this league. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they want to make room for him one way or another, whether that means cutting one of Gore, McCoy, or Yeldon, or whether that means keeping him in addition to all those guys, because I think we know, you know, you don't spend a third round pick on Devin Singletary and then cut him. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's those veterans that are probably more on notice. And obviously Perry will have to earn the spot, but, you mm. know, they, they weren't happy with how the special teams looked last year. Um, and really want to make an effort to change that. And you would think that, that Perry would be a part of that. Gotcha. So lastly, and most importantly, what's Mike Rodak really like to work alongside? Is he as unlikable as Bills fans on Twitter make him out to be, or is he, is he an okay guy? You know, I think uh, people would be surprised. One of the first people to reach out to me when I moved to Buffalo to, you know, kind of, introduced me to some of the other guys that cover the team. He's probably helped me out as much, if not more than, than anybody else, uh, in the media, um, since I got here in terms of, you know, just little things, uh, you know, about, 
about the town or the team or just the job in general. Um, yeah, he and I get along quite well. We golfed a couple times last week. Uh, I, he's a bit, you know, obviously a lot of people don't like him, um, but a lot of people don't like, um, you know, the way the team has performed over the last, you know, mm-hmm. decade and a half either. And I don't necessarily think he has a bone to pick with the team. I don't think he's out to get the team. I think he's objective and occasionally critical when it calls for it. He's very thorough as a reporter in terms of, you know, gathering information and getting the facts. And sometimes those facts aren't pretty uh, for the bills, but um, you know, I don't know that that's a reason to, to take it out on Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you I'm glad you cleared that up for me because I don't really see that necessarily. I can kind of understand it, but I'm glad that somebody with actual personal knowledge of Mike has, has been able to kind of clear that and and give us an idea of what he's like as a person. So <laughs> it's a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, I know he, he's, you know, I don't know how this whole um, you know, I that, like he grew up in Massachusetts and used to cover the Patriots. So everybody kind of associates him as well, first of all, people think that he should be a Bills fan, which that's not really the job at all. You know, I'm I'm not a Bills fan either. I mean, I don't think anybody who's doing the job correctly or well um, would openly admit to a, a bias like that. You're supposed to be objective and, um, you know, sort of an impartial observer. And so the fact that he's not a Bills fan, he's also not a Patriots fan. You know, he's not a fan of any team. Um and I think that kind of, you know, misconstrued things when he got here is a lot of people didn't like the idea of an outsider, a guy who covered the Patriots coming to cover the Bills. But um, the amount of, you know, criticism and, you know, th- the things people say on it to him on social media are insane. I mean, mm-hmm. things that I doubt most people would say in person, although I know that there have been cases out in public where some people say it in person, too. And I just don't understand uh treating somebody that way without getting to know them. But uh, that's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. Yeah, sometimes, for sure. Well, I'm hoping people listen to this and, and kind of view it in, in a different different angle or treat them a little bit differently after this. So, Matthew, um, in general, this has been a great conversation. I, I sincerely appreciate it. They can find all of your work at The Athletic Buffalo. And where can folks find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Fairburn, just as it's spelled. Um, and, you know, that's that's the main uh, social media I use. Okay, great. Well, it's like I said, it's been a pleasure to finally speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Circling the Wagons podcast and talking bills with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There's a new podcast being added to Buffalo Rumley's podcast channel. Um, we're, we're not going to talk about it yet, but um, but let me just tell you that these guys are great. If you hadn't heard them before, um, I think you're going to really enjoy them. Um, they're one of the few podcasts I listen to outside of the Bills Beat podcast with Joe B. and Matthew Fairburn, and it's a good one. So uh, what started last season as just the Circling the Wagons podcast recaps every Sunday after each Bills game turned out to um, – it's turning into a channel where you can find us, Matt Warren's Rumblings Q&A podcast, Anthony Marino's Breaking Rumblings podcast, the Blitz Bills podcast, and now, you know, even more are coming. So you really have everything you need Bills related in one source, which is kind of cool. I, I didn't never imagined it would grow to what it has, and, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. And like Anthony always says, hit the subscribe button, 
listen about your favorite team all year round. And uh, yeah, yeah. So again, want to thank Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic Buffalo for coming on and talking bills with us. Um, what a pro he is, and just a super nice guy. Um, and uh, and yeah. So for me, Nate, go Bills. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.